Well, if you would, please find uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And then if you want to, you can uh, put a ribbon or a bookmark or just open up to Ephesians chapter 1. So those are going to be our two openings. Father, over the next few minutes, we have this wonderful opportunity again as your people to gather together. And I thank you that, Father, there is something that you're going to speak into every one of our lives today without exception. And we acknowledge you as the good, holy, and perfect Father. And I thank you that you love each and every one of your children and you love each and every individual in this world so much that you gave us your only begotten Son. May we always honor and serve and, Lord, find room in our lives for more of you. And we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. We're going to continue to minister on Big God in a small city. My subject matter this morning is a new view. Would you look at your neighbor and say a new view? Second Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to pick up in the 13th verse here in a minute, but there is a battle that's going on, and the king of Syria is making battle plans to attack Israel. But every time he makes plans, God talks to Elisha, the prophet, about those plans, and then he warns the nation of Israel that the king of Syria is getting ready to go to this location And he is going to attack you. And so this happened multitudes of times. And so after a while, the king of Syria gathered all of his leaders together and said, all right, who among us is a mole? Who's the rat? Who is who is telling the enemy our plans about when and where we're going to attack? And one of the servants that was in that meeting said, none of us are moles or rats. Really, what's happening King is that God is talking to his servant Elisha and then he goes and tells the king of Israel where you're going to be and what you're going to do before we even get there. They're prepared for us. And now the king of Syria begins a search for Elisha. And that's where we're going to pick it up in the 13th verse. And so he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Dotham. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There's three points that I want to bring out in this particular text. The first is things aren't always as they appear. Secondly, younger men and women need older men and women in their life. And third, only God can open somebody's eyes. The first and probably uh, the foundational truth to this is things 
are not always as they appear. We see and know in part, but beyond what we can see naturally or physically, there is a whole nether realm where activity is going on constantly. It is the realm of eternity is the realm of the spirit. It is where angels and demons are in conflict and in battle. It's where the host of heaven are singing praises unto God in glory. It's where the demons in hell are trying to align themselves to steal, kill, and destroy. There is more to life than what we perceive through the natural eye. And yet, so much of our life is governed by what we see. So many of our decisions and so many of of the things that we choose to do is based on what we can perceive or see with the natural eye. But beyond what we can see, there's a whole nother realm that God wants us to be aware of where it does impact and influence people. It, it, it changes the course of someone's life and their direction. And, and if we could only at times have a glimpse over into glory onto the other side, I, I think it would broaden our perspective from small to large, from insignificant to a place of purpose and value. And, and, you know, so many of us, you know, have been impacted in life by what we've seen or by the things that we have perceived because of what we see. And we come to certain conclusions, but our conclusions are not conclusive. Our conclusions are our conclusions based on what we see. And until we enter into an understanding that there's more to life than what we see, then we'll continue to just make decisions on what we see. And it will govern our emotions. That that potentially could be one of the most harmful things to us is because instead of making decisions based on faith, we start making them subjectively. I feel this way, therefore I make this decision. I see certain things a certain way and therefore it causes me to feel a certain way and therefore because of that I make decisions that I make. When really as Christians we're called to live beyond the senses and to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Now while it's true our eyes have been given unto us, our physical sight has been given unto us by the Lord so that we can see so have spiritual eyes been given unto us so that we can see. And in this particular account, you know, the man of God, the aged elder of God, had enough experience with God, had a had enough time of walking with God that he knew that there was more than he could see. But his servant was still at a place where he was questioning, what in the world are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this pickle? We are surrounded by chariots and horses and an army of people. I mean, the king of Syria was so threatened by Elisha because the Lord was talking to him and through those conversations that the Lord was having with Elisha, the king of Syria could not advance and take new territory. He couldn't move and because of that he was he was such a, a threat to the king of Syria that he sent a whole brigade of soldiers after one man he was so intimidated by this one man that he sent his best to go get him chariots and horses for one man that tells us that the devil the devil is afraid of people with vision one person with vision 
can cause the enemy to get on his heels and make decisions that he will regret. And who will cause the enemy to regret the decisions that he makes? Someone who has eyes to see, who knows that there's more to life than what is currently going on. And sometimes I would have to say that this is a gut check for us as Christians because when circumstances or life seasons or just the overall plans that we thought should be happening or should have happened or why aren't they happening right now or why haven't they happened up until this time, the enemy pulls us over into the realm of the senses. And if he can hold us captive there, then he can continue to take territory. But if we bring him over into the realm of faith, then he's defeated every single time. Every single time. Because this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And faith isn't moved by what it sees. It is moved by what it believes. And Elisha had faith in God, but his servant didn't. Which brings me to my second point. Elisha knew it was important that he have a relationship with his servant so he could transfer the faith that he had in him over into his servant. Relationships are a key factor in us succeeding in walking with God. So for the older saints, I want to remind you that the younger saints need the wisdom that you've gained from the word of God. They need to hear the testimonies of God's goodness in your life. They need to see an example of a believer so that they could have something imparted into them that will help them in their time of trial and tribulation to believe beyond what they can see. While it's true that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, there are some things that are taught and there are other things that are caught. And relationships, when you're in a relationship with somebody, there's things that are transferred because of the proximity of that you have with that under that other individual. That God knits your hearts together. God mends you together. God puts you together so that you can, right, gain ground in your youthfulness. I, I shared last week how important and significant it was for me at a season in my life where I, I chose and sought out other older members of the body of Christ to support and to help me in my life and in the season of my life. Because I realized they had a lot more water under the bridge and they had things that they could communicate to me and things they could impart unto me that would help me because inevitably they knew that some of the things that they had faced, I will face. They didn't know how or when, but life has a way of, you know, presenting challenges to each and every one of us as well as opportunities for promotion or success or affirmation or acknowledgement. So, you know, how we handle both really, I think one of the factors is who have we been listening to? Who's been our counselors? Who, who have we sought out? Who have we welcomed? Who have we said, you know, I really see a lot of gold in you and could you make a deposit in my life? You know, would you consider me someone worth investing in? And I think that most of us are humbled and flattered when someone approaches us in that way. And we gladly share 
our time and our treasure, our resources, our counsel, our wisdom, because we're humbled by that opportunity. We can say to those people, when you have success, don't let it go to your head. That's good counsel. Because, you know, there's nothing that will get us off balance more than a big head. They say that the average head weighs, you know, 12 to 16 pounds. I guess it depends on, uh, you know, the density of, of how big someone's cranium is. But, you know, that's a bowling ball that you've got on your shoulders. And, uh, and you, you, you think about, uh, you know, what if it went to 24 or 36 or 48 pounds? I mean, you'd be, you'd, wherever you're, you, know, you don't want to have a big head. You just want to have a head on your shoulders. Keep, you know, it's been said like, hey, keep your head screwed on. You know, don't, don't lose your head. Don't lose your perspective. And so relationships help us, you know, keep our head screwed on right. And, and of course, you know, Elisha's servant, we don't know his name, you know, was sort of wigging out and has losing his mind. And, and the prophet said, you know, hey, let's just settle down. And, and so it's important through these godly relationships that a new view can be transferred to the next generations. Also in these relationships, there's opportunities for questions to be asked and, and counsel to be imparted. You um, I remember asking my dad, who I really didn't have a, a lot of, of time with, I didn't have a lot of experiences, don't have a lot of memories with my biological dad. Is, and, and it's one of the things that, that I wish was different about the story of my life, but it, it's still part of the story of my life. And, and, um, but the Lord brought others into my life that, you know, were impactful and influential. Uh, in my dad's absence, uh, the Lord sent other men, and as a result of that, you know, some of the wisdom that maybe I wish I would have gained from my father, I, I, I gained from them. But I remember asking my dad one time, uh, I had a paint contract business uh, out when I graduated from university um, because I, I just knew it wouldn't be right for me to, to take a job with within corporate America. I had opportunities for that, but I knew I needed, you know, to sort of, get the bearings of my life in the right direction and get my compass set true north for Christ's purposes. And, and while I, I'm thankful for the university and the education I gained and the opportunities, I, I still knew I was called to ministry. And I, I couldn't escape the reality of God's hand on my life. So I did the one thing that I knew to do, and that was I, I could hang drywall, I could finish drywall, I could paint, um, so I started a paint contracting business, and uh, my dad came into uh, came to Hutchinson, uh, Kansas, where uh, my mom and my brother and I uh, were living, and and I was working there at the time, and had several houses lined up, and I was on the side of a house uh, power washing, and then getting ready to scrape and caulk, and invited my dad, you know, to join me in this fun activity. Isn't that sound like fun? Hey, Dad, why don't you join? What are you going to do today, son? Now, I'm going to power wash a house, and I'm going to scrape all the old paint off till I can't feel my hands anymore. You want to join me? You know, and so uh, Dad came and, and joined. And I remember he got up on the scaffolding, and we're working side by side. And um, I, I knew my dad didn't have a lot of experience with painting. But out of respect 
for my dad, I said, Dad, if you were doing this, how would you do it? Do you see a better way to do it? Do you see a different way to do it than what I'm doing right now? Do you think I'm, is this, is this, you don't think we're making progress? And that's, that is so important that those moments happen in relationships where questions can be asked. You know, the servant felt very comfortable in asking his master, what are we going to do? Which tells me that he trusted that Elisha was going to tell him, this is what we need to do. He wasn't going to say, hey, you figure it out, dummy. That's your job to figure out. What he said was, I'll respond to your question. So he felt secure and safe enough to talk to Elisha about this. I wonder how many times people wanted to ask us a question, but they were concerned maybe how we would react or respond to the question that they asked. Therefore, they didn't ask it. You know, if we want to transfer the goodness and the grace of God and how good God is to other people's lives, then we can't belittle their questions. We can't minimize their questions. Is anyone with me here today? You know, in so many people's opinion, and it's just their opinion because it's not reality, God is not big enough to take care of the world that he created. And one of the reasons they have that idea is because God's people haven't magnified the Lord big enough. Do you want me to get on your other toe? It's true. The reason that people don't believe that God is capable of taking care of the world that he created is because the enemy has done a better job of creating an image in people's mind about what a waste of time it is to serve God instead of the people of God magnifying the Lord and saying what a great honor it is to serve the Lord. Amen. Silence. While sometimes it is appropriate, silence at other times gives your adversary an opportunity to get a leg up. Because he won't be silent. And some people have used the silent card when they shouldn't use the silent card. You need to speak. And then there's other times where we do need to be silent. But God's spirit will help us. It's hard to do both. Do you know that? For some of us, it's hard to shut up. And for others, it's hard to speak up. I'm going to keep doing this for another 10 minutes till we get some kind of response. The anointing is on me to clap. So if you want to join in. The anointing is on me to clap. If you want to join in and and join in on the anointing, come on. You've been silent too long. You've been sitting too long. It's time to share what you know about the big God that you love, that you worship, that you serve. Amen? Amen. Amen. My third point is it's only God that can open someone's eyes. I, I, 
If there was any superpower I wish I had, I wish I had that ability. I wish I had the ability to help somebody who is blinded by deceit to see the reality of God's grace. But since I don't have that power, I trust in the one who does. Right? He who makes the eye, he can open that eye. And he can help someone to see. And through them seeing, they'll have understanding and insight that they would have never had apart from God's Spirit. I can bring the light, but God causes the light to open in people's eyes and heart and mind. So we partner with Him. God opens our eyes. God is light. Light gives sight. And sight gives insight or understanding. So in order to have a new perspective, a new view, we need eyes that see and ears that hear what the Lord is saying. For there are many voices, Scripture says, in the world, and all of them have a message that they want people to accept and to adhere to. So only through discernment, only through a new view, can we be protected from the deceitfulness that's in this world through Satan's messages and messengers. How do you develop discernment? Let me give you two thoughts. One is relationships. It's they're significant. You can't minimize them. They, they are what causes our life to have fabric and substance relationships. Secondly, it's re- the redemptive knowledge of Jesus' work. If we're going to be protected from darkness that masquerades itself as light, then we have to have an understanding of the light of Jesus' work redemptively. We have to know what Jesus did for us. Why did he come? Why did he suffer? How was he doing what he did? Why did he do what he did? Is he still doing the same thing today? And if so, how does it happen? And how can we work with him and cooperate with him so that others can know how good our God is? So not only do your relationships protect you from deceit and help you to have discernment because iron sharpens iron. But on the other side of that, Jesus said, be careful because the blind leading the blind both fall into the ditch. You know, if we're following someone that doesn't know where they're going, they're going to take us to a place that we don't want to go. And so our relationships are really, really significant. And also the knowledge of Jesus' work protects us from deceit and helps us to develop discernment. I want to close by reading out of Ephesians chapter 1. I trust that you've already found that text, Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to pick up in the 15th verse. Paul talking to and instructing and then praying for the church at Ephesus says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, because once he heard this, what did he do? I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
We just got done talking about that. That helps you to have discernment. If you'll pray for people, just like Elisha prayed for his servant. Is there someone that you know that is being tormented by fear right now? They feel like they're hemmed in on every side. There's no way out that the enemy is going to come in and capture them. And who knows, you know, from there, potentially what the enemy might do to them. Or do you know people that are apprehensive, that are fearful, that are, you know, not not in a place where they have strong faith or courageous faith? Pray, pray for them. And then he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, verse 18, that you may know what is the hope of his calling What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. Well, how how and when did all of this mighty power that he's talking about, that he wants us to be aware of, how did it all, how did it all happen? He said, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He's put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which Once you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Christ served us in our sin, was sacrificed for our sin, was buried, left for dead, but was resurrected for our justification. When he was raised, we were raised. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that raised you from the dead, and you're alive unto God. Your eyes now see, and your ears now hear, and therefore, you can be led by God's Spirit. You're now his offspring, your sons and daughters. And he seated you far above all principality and power and might and dominion, not only right now, but in the ages to come, he might show his exceeding great power and goodness towards you. This is how big our God is. Our God pulled us out of death, hell, and the grave, and where we were destined to go, And has made a way for us to be seated with him in Christ Jesus. In the heavenly places. And therefore, we are his beloved. We are his offspring. We are his children. And it's his good pleasure to provide for his children. 
to protect his children and to guide his children all the days of our life and one day to receive his children into his presence. I want to remind you that the words look and consider and behold are God's invitation to us that we might see that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Going back to Elisha and his servant, when he prayed that the Lord would open his servant's eyes, he opened his servant's eyes and his servant saw that around the enemy in the hills and the mountains, they were full of the army of God. So while the king of Syria thought he had Elisha surrounded, Elisha knew that God had the king of Syria surrounded. And right now, because of your being seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, from the natural eye, it may look like you're in a bad place. From But where you sit in Christ, when your eyes are open, you have an advantage. You're seated and you see things and you have vision and perspective. The thing that we have to do as believers is slow down enough to look. The word look and consider and behold are invitations by God given over and over and over again to his people. To look around means that we're paying attention, we're observant. To look out for somebody means that we're considering their well-being. To look up means that we're inviting God in where he needs to come in. All of those, those phrases are so important. I know that when we want to get someone's attention, we say, look here. And I, I, that's what the Lord is saying. Look here. Look at me. And then we know looking unto is a great phrase in Scripture because it admonishes us to look unto Jesus. The word consider means think about something long enough to where you come to a different conclusion than the one you've already got. When someone says, I want you to consider this, what they're saying is, I want to tweak your perspective to where you see something, instead of seeing it as a problem, see it as a possibility. And God does that many times with us. He asks a question, what do you see? What do you see? And then consider that word is such a powerful word. It's a comparison word. Jesus used it in his teaching. Consider the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. When you're, you know, in a place and, and it looks like you're surrounded and overwhelmed, he said, hold on. Consider. We got to slow down. The enemy wants us to make decisions way too quickly. He pushes us into haste. Be hasty. Get in a hurry. He wants us to make it subjectively. And God is like on slow simmer. It doesn't that irritate you sometimes, though? You know it does. Right. But you know that slow simmering meat in the crock pot. At 8 in the morning, it's not too good. At 5 in the afternoon, you're glad it was a slow simmer. 
so it is with the Lord. And leave that pot closed. The word behold means more than just look. It's really an exclamation point, like God is blowing a trumpet and startling us into the place that we look and we start trying to pay attention to what's going on. Uh, occasionally here at the church, and I'll close with this, because I don't want to tell too many stories on myself, even though it seems to be a habit of mine. But occasionally here at the church, I've been known to maybe hide behind something as Kate is walking around from one area to the other. And all I have to do is step out from the shadows and say, hello. And boy, oh boy, if she could have jumped out of her skin and she always is like, oh, you always get me. I think sometimes God steps out of the shadows sometimes when, you know, we're going about life and he says, behold it. And we're like this. He shakes us up. He shakes us up. And if, and if you're going too fast, you may miss it. If you don't slow down, you may not see it. You may not understand. You may not comprehend. If you're in such a hurry, mm, that's not a good thing. One more example. Young people throughout the years, young people, don't they have the right to fall in love and dream about marriage and a home and a family? I think so. All of us who are married have been there. But one of the things I endeavor them to do is to prove out relationships. If it's the Lord today, I say it'll be the Lord six months from now. Might be the Lord a year from now. What's your hurry? Because once you get to this side of marriage where I'm at, you wish you would have slowed down. <laughs> you didn't think that was funny, but that's clap worthy. Right. <laughs> Not that you would make another selection, but that you would get to know that person before you made that kind of commitment. You know, you can... You can get to know someone or they can present themselves in a certain light for a period of time in a season. But you need to see them winter, spring, summer, fall. You need to see them for like four seasons and then take it from there. I think all of us understand there's some things we'd like to have a redo on, myself included, right? While man can't provide that, God can. I remember John Hagee made this statement one time. I thought it was just such a wise, wise statement. He said, in life, he has learned that before God brings the right person, the devil always brings the wrong one. The devil always wants us to get ahead, get in a hurry. Do it now. And he sometimes pressures people to do it secretly, anonymously, without support, without accountability. The devil is pushy that way. God is like, hey, if this is a good thing, let's do it openly. Let's do it honestly. Let's do it transparently. Let's do it truthfully. Are you listening to me? Right. 
So these are just nuggets for some of you that are in that season. Marriage is an honorable and godly institution. But you shouldn't hurry to get into it. Slow and steady still wins the race. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.